Hi, welcome to the Save As Podcast, a conversation with the everyday designers behind iconic brands. I'm your host, Kay Funk, and these are the stories and ideas from the builders that define the products you love. For the last episode of season one of the Save As podcast, I'm excited to feature Kat Lamb. Kat has one of the most creative minds in the industry. As an archaeologist turned footwear designer, Kat has a unique and intellectual approach to product design. That approach, combined with her think-outside-the-box brain, has landed her jobs at some of the most compelling brands in the industry, including Nike, Cole Haan, the Adidas Brooklyn Creator Farm, and Crocs. On today's episode, I talked to Kat about gender and inclusivity in design. We discuss her perspective as a female Asian American footwear designer, the importance of leveraging your breadth of experiences to bring a fresh perspective to a product, the importance of allyship and mentoring, and the effect of burnout within the female design community. Hi, Kat. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you on in, you know, all the conversations that we've had together. I've just loved hearing your viewpoint and your insight and the way you think about design. And I'm just really grateful that you came on. So thanks so much for being here. Well, thank you. I mean, I'm super honored that you asked me to be on. (laughs) Well, I'm super excited to have you on. So diving right into some of the background questions, do you want to talk a little bit about yourself, who you are, and where you're from? Yeah. So I'm Kat. I am a dog mom, plant enthusiast, history nerd, friend, and I happen to design shoes as a chosen profession. I grew up in LA and I've kind of moved up and down the West Coast. I went to school in Portland and San Francisco. And then I I lived in Portland for a while when I was working at Nike. And two years ago, I decided I wanted to try something new and I wanted to try East Coast living. So I moved to Brooklyn, kind of with like a very skeleton plan, and kind of took the gamble. And I mean, knock on wood, I like to say that it worked out. So here we are. Yeah, I love that. Where did you go to school in Portland? So I actually started college majoring in anthropology and archaeology. Okay. And did that for actually a few years. And I I did my field school in northern Greece. I lived in Greece for a while. I actually landed in Athens the day like the Syntagma Square riots happened. And yeah, it was an incredible experience. But I kind of realized that I think like archaeology just wasn't for me. I I realized that like the part I enjoyed the most about it was drawing the actual wall that we were excavating and then like piecing together the different pottery shards back into like an amphora or figuring out based on the clay body and the slip and the thickness of the wall, like what this was used for. But yeah, I went back to Portland and I decided to change my major. I actually wanted to learn how to design and make my own furniture. <laughs> and that's how I got into ID. Oh, that's awesome. And did you finish in Portland or San Francisco? So I actually moved to San Francisco to finish my design degree at California College of the Arts. And I have to say that was like singularly the most or the best decision I think I've ever made for myself because 
just that school as central as it was to like kind of like the design industry in San Francisco it it really just opened up so many doors for me and I feel like I owe I mean Sandrine the head of the department there like my career basically (laughs) I think she really recognized like the diamond in the rough and encouraged people to just like show a different perspective a different point of view and I think that's what's really helped place people from our program into like the various fields and it's it's so interesting now to look back and see everybody kind of ended up like where they should be essentially it's it's really funny (laughs) that's so cool what do you think that that perspective was that she encouraged you guys to share or like what do you think what do you think she brought out in you guys that was different than other schools? Well, I think a lot of us were actually kind of older and we all came from like different backgrounds. And I think as humans, we're basically like the manifestation of all of our lived experiences, right? Like we're literally the representation of like the love that our mothers poured into us and like the challenges that we faced in our environment and that stuff like can alter your genes. It's so crazy. But yeah, I think she and and a lot of the professors, I think that we we had really encouraged us to like leverage those backgrounds. And I think, you know, the differentiator between like CCA and some of the other art schools that, you know, a lot of my friends at Nike came from was there was less kind of emphasis on form development. And in a way that kind of cripples you in the design field but it really, it really <laughs> challenges you to think of like the intellectual part of design and you know having an archaeology background like I tell people all the time like because people always look at me with a blank stare and say like that's a huge jump to go from <laughs> archaeology to design but really it's kind of just like archaeology in reverse like I said we had to figure out like the narrative of how people use these objects thousands of years ago And now we're kind of starting with that narrative and like kind of presupposing like how people are going to use this product and then creating it. So it's not, I feel like it's not that different. It's just the reverse process. (laughs) I totally agree. I think just imagining that someone might once dig up one of your (laughs) projects (laughs) and the story that they're going to piece back together. I think, you know, that's, That's so interesting and pretty awesome. Yeah, I feel like I was in San Francisco kind of at this funny golden age of like the rock star industrial designer and consultancies. And it was funny because I feel like at that time, a lot of things that were being designed just kind of looked like a squircle or like a rounded square. And I, I think about it now and I'm just like, it's funny to think that in 2000 years, somebody's going to dig up an iPhone and just be like, what was this? What was this book? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so true. What year was that that you were in San Francisco? So I graduated in 2016. So I was there, okay. I think like 2013, 2016. But it was it was so fun. I got to intern at a couple different places. Actually, my first internship ever was at a place called Perfect Fitness. And (laughs) I don't know if you've ever seen the infomercials for those like perfect push-ups. 
<laughs> one of my roommates actually has them. And I was like, oh, I used to work there. Sounds like something I need. <laughs> I know. I have fallen off very hard the workout train in quarantine. <laughs> it's, it's embarrassing. But yeah, I also got the opportunity to work at a couple of consultancies while I was in school. And that was like a really huge, like formative experience in design. And, you know, I never really thought that I would fall into footwear. And I don't really tell a lot of people this, you know, because it, it feels, I don't know, it feels a little privileged to say, like, I kind of fell into footwear. But I think a lot of people actually do. But I know that there's, you know, there's, there's certain people that like live and breathe this stuff. And it's been their dream since they were a child. And, you know, I grew up in a household where I played a lot of sports. And I mean, I played like, every possible sport like volleyball softball I sailed I skied and I was always encouraged to play but you know footwear design never really occurred to me ever as a kid I was I don't know my parents did not buy me like cool shoes we were too poor for that I wore K-Swiss and Skechers because that's what my parents could afford you know so I, I I wish I could say like yeah I grew up wearing like Jordan 3s and you know, was super cool as a kid, but I really wasn't. But yeah, I I fell into footwear design because Sandrine, the head of the ID department at my school, she called me one day and she was like, hey, the recruiter from Nike is coming and I would really like for you to show him your portfolio. And at the time I was just like, I don't have any shoes in my portfolio. And I had just, you know, signed a contract for a full-time job at a consultancy that I was working at that I really loved. And, you know, I was, I was fully set to like live the consultancy design life in San Francisco. And I basically told her like, no, thanks. <laughs> and she was just like, are you insane? I mean, maybe, maybe a little bit, but I ended up going through with it. I met with a recruiter and he was he was just a really cool guy. I showed him my portfolio and the project that clinched it for me was this project that I had done for a studio class where they asked us to design pet products. And I think like the natural inclination would be to design a dog or a cat toy or something. But I designed like a whole ecosystem for bug keeping, <laughs> which that's is, amazing. I mean, it, it's so bizarre but I think that's like emblematic of where my brain would naturally go just like be left the opposite and the designer that was in the room during my interview was the designer that actually somehow ended up with like the bugs that I had used in my prototype because my friend Haley she's she's a designer in the innovation kitchen she had come to our review and she asked at the end of the review to take the bugs off of my hands and they somehow ended up with the designer that was interviewing me. So I love to say that like I got my foot in the door at Nike because of bugs and not because of shoes. <laughs> That's an amazing story. <laughs> yeah, they were they were these massive Madagascan hissing cockroaches. And Mm, yep. Because I went full Monty. Like I built the prototype out of glass and 3D print. And I had these bugs like living on my desk in the studio. And people thought I was insane. Like people would walk by my desk and just be like, this girl's crazy. <laughs> or, you know, like gross. And yeah, they, they somehow ended up with this designer because his kids were really into them. And he built like a whole 
Like, you know, those hamster cages with like yeah, the tunnels. That's totally what I was thinking about. No. I was like... <laughs> yeah. And so when I got to Nike, people would come up to me and be like, oh, you're the one that did that bug project. <laughs> you're like infamous there before you even start. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I guess transitioning a little bit into the topic that you were interested in talking about today, I would be really interested to know what drew you to the topic of gender and design and inclusivity and design and sort of how that has morphed and changed as you've grown in your career. Yeah. I I mean, I think this topic has been a huge topic of discussion basically since I started design. And I mean, this discussion is not new, I don't think. But I think recently with social media and that type of thing, you know, women have been more demanding of inclusive sizing and, and, you know, that's from like strictly the consumer lens, but also within, I think, design, women are demanding more credit, more clear pathways to leadership, We want to see more female leaders. And, you know, again, going back to what I was saying earlier, as humans, we are just like a collection of all of our experiences. And, you know, inherently as a woman or as like a female identifying person, you you have certain experiences that differentiate you from from men. And I think having that breadth of experiences and like different perspectives brings richness to the product that I think people really latch on to, like. I think storytelling is everything. And if you only have one point of view, there's, you know, it's very limiting, I think. Yeah, that's been something that I've talked to other guests about and something that I think is just so important is including such a multitude of voices, because to your point, it just brings a different perspective and brings like a totally new story to the product. Yeah. And I will say, I I think I've been really lucky because you know, since I started design, like having a female head of the department working under female design directors, even at consultancies, like at both Lunar and Frog, I worked under really strong female industrial designers who, you know, I'm sure 20 years ago, everybody always says this, like, Everybody that's been in the game for like 10, 15, 20 years, they always tell me like, it was a lot worse 20 years ago. (laughs) But at the end of the day, we're still making like 97 cents of every dollar that a man in the same position is making. We're still, you know, taking three times longer to get promoted. We're not at a place where we can say that we're equal yet. So there's still work to be done. And even though it's getting incrementally better, it's still not there yet. So we still need to. We can't just like rest on our laurels and accept it. We got to still make people have the conversations. I totally agree. I think looking back, I've realized I had a lot of anxiety as a young female designer. And, you know, there was there was a lot of challenges that I didn't realize in being a young female designer. And I would be interested in hearing, you know, like, what are some of the challenges you face starting out as a female or did you always find it empowering to be a female designer? Hmm. I think, I mean, as a woman and a woman of color, I think going into anything, honestly, in life, I, I knew that I'd have to work 
twice as hard to be taken seriously. And maybe that's like the child of immigrant mentality as well. <laughs> like just work until you drop, basically. But yeah, when I got to school, I, I don't think that there was necessarily like an even split of, of female and, and males in the design program. But I'd say that there was definitely more than just myself and another female designer. And I, I think it's, you know, you, from what I've learned is it's so important to find like your cohort and like the people that will support you and, and support your perspective. And if you don't have that, it's, it's, it can be like it's extremely detrimental. And, you know, I think working within women's categories at Nike, I was a bit sheltered in that way because, you know, we had a women in footwear design group. And I mean, you know, out of what, like 200 and some change footwear designers at Nike, the group of females could fit in a room, like a single conference room. I, I want to say there was like 20 something of us. But, you know, it also just looking around the room, seeing how many women of color there were, there was even less. So, I mean, not even in the double digits, I don't think. And this is just footwear design specifically like if you were to count in like color and materials obviously that number would grow significantly but I'm not really sure what it is about industrial design as a field and I've, I've talked to this I've talked about this to a lot of my other friends in other industries like architecture even the music industry and there's still not the representation and I'm not really sure if you figure it out like how to how to change that. Yeah. I think as a young female designer starting out, I really struggled with not seeing that female representation. When I started, I was tasked with being the voice of the female consumer for the brand that I was working on at the time. And, you know, there was a lot of weight to carry in that. And I was so young and had so many opinions, but really didn't know how to back them up. And you know, there were also very few key decision makers that were women. And I was really pretty stressed and starting to feel sort of directionless. And the only other female designer on the team was actually working on a parallel brand at the time. So there were sort of, she was sort of supposed to have a certain amount of distance between us and the two brands. And Finally, I moved over to be on her team. And once we were on the same team, she was able to truly mentor me. And, you know, she still remains one of the best mentors I've had in my career. And I guess life for that matter. That also kind of highlights how important female mentorship is. And if you don't yeah. see other women in leadership positions where they can like, build that like mentor relationship with you then you know that can be really crippling I've worked now with a couple of designers that you know back in the shoe dog days you know they felt very undermined as women in footwear and because there were no no women in in leadership positions to look up to no clear pathways to that I, I will say I've there's a time where I was freelancing a bit at the Brooklyn Creative Farm for Adidas and oh yeah I mean I 
I was immediately like assigned to like a male signature basketball shoe. And I never really felt like my gender hindered me in any, in any way. And I, I didn't feel like people doubted what I brought to the table because of my gender. But I will say that there are certain interactions that you find yourself in and you question like, would this be different if I was a man? Yeah. Would this be different if I wasn't a person of color? And those can be super disheartening. Like they can, you know, contribute to that, that already like embedded sense of imposter syndrome of like, oh, do I really deserve to be here? And then on top of that, it's just like, oh, <laughs> are you not taking this seriously because of like my gender and, and things like that? Totally. It seems like there's something about the female identifying mentality where like you imposter syn- syndrome seems more prevalent. I definitely talked to quite a few more females just from my point of view that seem to suffer from this. And I think yeah. that's also really interesting. The amount of like, okay, you already have this imposter syndrome. <laughs> And then there's not many people ahead of you leading the way. And how do you kind of take that and overcome that without these like powerful examples in front of you? And I think things are getting better. But I worked with a woman at Reebok who was one of the original shoe dogs, you know, and I can't even imagine what it was like for her. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if this kind of embedded sense of imposter syndrome is because, I mean, historically, women have kind of adhered to these social norms of like, you find yourself in this role where you're, you're uh, expected to be carry yourself a certain way. And then when you find yourself in a position where women stand up for themselves in our field and kind of assert their point of view and, and demand like a level of, of recognition for what they bring to the table, you can be oftentimes labeled as like a troublemaker or emotional and, and that type of thing. And, you know, that further contributes to that like cycle of oh, am I, should I, should I really be here? Totally. I think it's interesting because like one thing that I've been thinking about is crying in the office, (laughs) which is like the reason why that comes up is I do feel like there are situations where I know people have cried in the office and I feel like oftentimes like that is a female person. And I I think it's interesting, like, that that is so frowned upon, in my perspective. And it would be interesting to understand the psychology behind that, and like, what all leads up into into that. And then also, like, why it is seen as such a bad thing. Right. I think we just need to normalize crying in the workplace. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, I I agree with you because up until a certain point, I really thought that like showing any sort of emotion in the workplace was, you know, unprofessional or just not appropriate. And I will say that the first time I ever cried at work and I remember it um, was when I was still in, in Jordan Women's. And at that point, I was the first footwear designer assigned to the women's silo within JSW or Jordan Sportswear. And at the time, I'm going to say this was like 
I, I always have my timelines always messed up. I want to say it's like 2017 when Nike decided that, you know, they were going to create this women's silo within NSW, within sportswear. And then they also wanted to start a women's initiative within Jordan brand. Because okay. I think they recognize that there was a gap there. And there was definitely, you know, a, a female sneaker community that wasn't being addressed. And at the time, we were really trying to figure that out. And I was kind of operating on my own little island with, you know, our cohort of material, color, and, and development. And I think I'd been there for about a year before we got a design director. And she's this amazing woman, and she's designed some incredible shoes. On top of that, just is like an incredible human being. And I remember the first time I ever cried at work was actually in front of her. <laughs> this woman that I really respect. And it was so like, mortifying, but also freeing. And, you know, I think it was like the first time that we had had a real conversation outside of just our, our monthly female and footwear design meetings where, you know, I think we both opened up about like, some, some personal things that we had been going through and, and how that was kind of like affecting work. And it was just like, a moment of tremendous bonding. It was just like instant trust. Like I will do whatever you say. I will work weekends if you ask me to, because <laughs> I just instantly trust you enough to like cry in front of you and like ugly cry, like straight up <laughs> Kim Kardashian meme, ugly cry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that is interesting because I think it can go either way. It's like, if you have that moment of acceptance and you're like, yes, I will do anything for you. I like follow your lead because you've kind of seen me in this vulnerable moment and like help me through it. Whereas yeah. like contradictory, I feel like it is so damaging when you have that moment and it's like so frowned upon and you end up feeling all the shame. And it's interesting how that opening up and being vulnerable can go in either way. <laughs> like it can be so powerful or like pretty negative. And I, I wonder how much gender plays into that. I wonder how much gender plays into the, the the shaming of like showing emotion in the workplace. And like we were talking about earlier, if a man, you know, asserts his, his opinion and, you know, demands to be recognized for his ideas and contributions, he's seen as, you know, assertive and a, a leader. But if a woman does the same thing and, you know, it's it's often looked at as like an emotional episode. Or, um, yeah, you really get labeled as, uh, you know, a problem. And I, I think that's why a lot of women fear speaking up when they find themselves in these situations where, you know, if they're in a design review and all of their male colleagues get recognized individually by name and somehow... All the female footwear designers somehow get left out and forgotten, you know, and left off that list. It's, I think it's our job to tell people like that's unacceptable because sometimes people just don't know. I like to assume that people are just oblivious and don't know as opposed to like purposefully doing things like that. I'm curious to know if you have any examples of how different perspectives can bring different point of view to design. Like, 
do you do you have any examples of like how a female identifying person approached a design versus like a male identifying one? I mean, I will say as as a woman that you know didn't necessarily grow up playing basketball, I, I've tried playing basketball and I'm terrible at it. But I definitely <laughs> <Me too>. know, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I, like I don't know the ins and outs of it. But you know, being assigned to essentially lead like a, a, an NBA signature basketball shoe at first seemed really intimidating. But then, you know, I I kind of felt emboldened and empowered in the fact that like I'm bringing a different perspective because I haven't necessarily like invested in all the the other shoes that are out there and all the other solutions that have already been posed by other people so like it allows you to have like a a fresher and clearer perspective you asked do you think that male identifying versus female identifying people design differently and i i don't really I want to say I don't think so, because I think, you know, again, we are just so informed by like all of our experiences and and what we've seen, what we've lived through. And like, I kind of ascribe to the idea that gender isn't inherent in humans. And I I think that we we really learn a lot of those like norms. And, you know, I make fun of of people that, you know, (laughs) like Jeeps and and close-up cropped shots of like motorcycle parts like all my guy friends that do that like I I always always make fun of them because it's just like oh that's so expected right if you're if you've been doing this long enough I feel like you can look at a mood board and and tell like ah it's definitely a a dude mood board but I mean I I know so many men that have designed like beautiful women's specific sneakers and and a lot of like female identifying designers that have feel more comfortable designing menswear. So I, I don't think that like gender is a, a hindrance in what you choose to design. But I will say that I think it takes a certain sensitivity to to design women's product. You either have it or you I totally agree with that. <laughs> I don't think it matters what gender you are. I think it is. It's just that sensitivity piece. I, I don't think I like personally having always been a tomboy growing up, like, I don't think, you know, starting out in design, I ever really set out to design, like, specifically for one gender. I think it wasn't honestly till I got to Nike and, like, got to participate in all those focus groups for Jordan and, and women's training. But specifically in Jordan, I think that was more formative because we would go to these focus groups and sometimes they could be so brutal because you would show like a prototype or whatever. And sometimes, you know, girls would just hate it. <laughs> and sometimes it could be like heart wrenching to just be like, that is my heart on the table. That you are saying is trash. But at the same time, it could be super enlightening when, you know, a girl pick it up and, and say like these are the three outfits I would wear this with and it was really heartening to hear like specifically women of color say like stop putting us on your mood boards and like include us in these conversations and I I think you know I mean we had some misses we had some shoes that maybe didn't sell as many units or like didn't resonate as much with the consumer but like I think the best feeling (laughs) is when you're on the subway pre-covid and (laughs) You see a girl wearing a shoe that you designed that, I mean, honestly, like these shoes that she was wearing, I have not even put in my portfolio because I'm just like, I don't know how you feel about these. But like, 
she was fully rocking them. Like she was wearing them in a way like that I better than I could have ever imagined. And to see like her confidence come through, like in this outfit that she had put together, you know, like I think that's honestly, it makes it all worth it. It makes all the, like the behind the scenes kind of BS worth it. Totally. Totally. I know. I was talking to someone and they were like, we're making wearable art. And I'm like, you know what? I would never give myself that compliment, but it is in a way true. And I think that about other people's pieces. And when you see someone wearing it and putting their own perspective on it and feeling that love for this product and kind of treating it like an art piece, there's something interesting about how people can put their own story onto it. And that makes you believe even more in the thing that you designed (laughs) totally again it's like it's like music right how when you hear a song and you kind of ascribe your own meaning to it and then you hear like the artist talk about it and you're kind of like oh it kind of ruined it for me but I think (laughs) seeing people's different iterations how it how the the product makes them feel in it how they can style it in different ways it's it's inspiring I think that's like what really keeps me passionate about designing for women specifically because there's like also that like psychology aspect of of trying always trying to figure out like what women want yeah (laughs) I don't I don't think any brand has really figured that consumer piece out like a hundred percent yeah Totally. Well, kind of getting into some of the industry questions, what would you like to see the industry do more of in terms of gender and inclusivity in design? I mean, seeing more women in leadership, I think is an obvious one for younger guns like me. I would like a clearer pathway to, you know, promotions and that type of thing. When I when I took the job at Colhan, I actually asked the recruiter pretty bluntly, like if you're offering this to a man, would you be offering him the same dollar amount? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I offended her or not, but she, you know, she's she's lovely. She's a lovely woman and she, you know, made it clear that I was being offered this for my ability. And that the number was reflecting that and not my gender. (laughs) But, you know, I I think it's an important question to ask. And I mean, I would love to see more brands doing partnerships like with Adidas doing the seed school and giving an education opportunity to women and specifically like black women, an opportunity to enter the footwear world, I think is incredible. And it would be great to see other brands maybe also doing that same type of partnership. Yeah, I think that's so important on multiple levels, but also on that pathway to leadership, you know, the more people that we are getting involved in the conversation at an earlier age, the better. And it's important that every brand take on something like that. I've definitely had friends that have worked in like more male dominated performance categories, you know, soccer and cleated and that type of thing where they felt undermined because people were like, oh, you're a girl, you don't actually, you know, play football or, you know, I've, I've heard horror stories about like women having their sketches claimed by like male counterparts and things oh, like God. that. And yeah, I, I feel lucky in that I haven't personally really experienced that, but you know, to to have that 
be like accepted or just like a norm within the workplace is just like unacceptable. <laughs> you know, I think that's why like in terms of, of gender, like credit is so important. We quantified it. It took women three times as long to get promoted at one of my previous employers. And and if you're not being put on big projects, if you're not being recognized for your contributions, it can take longer. And I, I think, you know, it's it's really important to assert yourself and demand that you receive the credit for the work that you've done. Because I've definitely witnessed firsthand like younger designers coming up who maybe it's their first gig and, you know, they don't feel emboldened to speak up when they're not being recognized. And I think that fear of being labeled a troublemaker, I think that fear of being called emotional or whatever, because you're crying in the office, <laughs> that needs to go away. Like, totally. I, I have fully embraced, I'm going to speak up when I see something that's not, that I just don't agree with fundamentally. Like if, and I, I wish, I wish this for, for younger female footwear designers that they have people that are willing to speak up for them and fence for them. Cause I know I definitely did. I definitely had directors at Nike who gave me the credit that I deserved and, you know, shouted me out in meetings. I think, you know, finding that network of people that you can, you can work with and, and, you know, give each other the credit that you're due. I think that's so empowering and gives people like a sense of ownership and investment in the project if they feel like their efforts are recognized. Yeah, I think that's incredibly important. And I also think, I, I think it's on female designers to do that for other female designers. But I also think it's on male designers to do that for female designers and to mentor them. Because I don't think you have to be mentored by a female designer. I think there's so much power in having a male mentor. So I think that's also another important piece of the puzzle. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. Especially if you're, you know, I, I hate to, to give men so much power. But you know, at, at times, it can feel like if you're a male design director, you have the most power in the room. And if you, you have, you know, that shine, and you, you give it to one of your, you know, young female mentees like that, that means like everything, you know, I definitely would say that I've had more male mentors in my career than I have females. Well, obviously with like <laughs> the limited amount of women in leadership positions. <laughs> like I, and you you never forget those people. Like, you know, even if you don't talk every day, I still remember the last day of my internship at Nike, the VP of design who was like my direct manager, he sat me down and he just like talked to me about like 401ks and like that's not something that the VP of Nike who oversees like 200 something designers ever have to do. But the fact that he felt obligated to, you know, really like just talk about like life stuff in addition to, you know, teaching me a lot about design, just that, that sense of feeling like somebody is really looking out for you. I think people don't forget that. <laughs> totally. I think those are the moments that stick with you, right? Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but one thing I wanted to touch on was burnout. 
There's a lot of studies that suggest that women suffer from burnout at a higher rate to men. I would love to know what burnout means to you and how it's affected your career. Yeah, I think as women and and having to like work doubly as hard to to prove yourself and feel like you are an equal in the room, like you can really find yourself burned out because you're putting in, you know, extra time, extra effort, extra heart. And I don't know, for me, it was taking some time off. I definitely, you know, after leaving Nike, I took some time off to travel, spend time with my family, kind of like rediscover other, you know, creative endeavors outside of even just footwear design, like remembering that I love design because I love making stuff with my hands and like getting back into like silversmithing and, and that type of thing. And I traveled for a couple months. I went to Vietnam for a while to kind of just like rediscover like myself and a sense of purpose. And I, I really think that like coming back and after taking a, a little bit of time off coming back and then getting the gig at Adidas and really rediscovering like my love for making and prototyping and, and rediscovering like a love of footwear in that way. And then ultimately getting this offer from Cole Haan to do like women specific product again, it really reinvigorated me. And I think, you know, that's what, that's what keeps me going. At the end of the day, it's a passion and a job and it doesn't necessarily dictate like your worth as a human. Like there are so many other aspects that make up your personality and your, you know, who you are in the world. So I mean, it's still a journey. I'm still trying to figure out, like, what else is it that, like, motivates me to, like, uh, get up? And what else am I contributing to the world aside from shoes? <laughs> at the end of the day, it, it is just shoes. And, I mean, like, I'm sure there's people in the industry that will, like, disagree with me. But it's shoes. We're not saving lives. <laughs> So before we sign off, I always ask people a few fun closing questions. So with that, uh, what music are you listening to right now? And what is the most inspiring thing you've seen this week, the week of January 8th? Hmm. Well, the music part is easy. I've been listening to Kid Cudi's new album on repeat. Nice. Also, <laughs> I, I've like I listened to it all the way through the first time and then I just kind of like let it loop. I'm kind of a, a freak where I can listen to like the same song 300 times in a row over and over on loop. I don't know. I, I'm i such a nerd about that type of stuff. I'm like, what was he thinking when he wrote this very specific line? Or like, why did he pull this sample specifically? But the most inspiring thing I saw this week. Hmm. Actually, I think it was maybe last week, but I made my roommate watch Dua Lipa's online concert experience. It's called like 20 Studio 2054. I think the production was amazing. Like the costumes were amazing. I just, I thought it was really like ingenious to bring that like music experience, that live music experience to, yeah, people's homes. I guess my last question is who in the industry inspires you? Hmm. This is a tough one. I know you sent some of the questions earlier, and this is this is one I was I was trying to think about because I think, you know, coming from Jordan Brand and like, you know, we would collaborate with 
external faces like Melody Asani and Alele and people that are, you know, women that are really bringing like sneaker culture, female sneaker culture specifically to the forefront. But I think that there's so many like unsung heroes of the footwear industry that don't get recognized, like developers don't get any you know, real recognition for their contributions to footwear and kind of similarly to footwear design that has historically been like a male dominated field. I think like developers, female developers also face kind of like the same hurdles. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I've definitely worked with some really badass female footwear developers. Totally. (laughs) Like in Jordan, also at Adidas. And, you know, I think like, those those kind of behind the scenes people that don't you know have their faces splashed in all the, the ads and things like that those are kind of like people I really I really appreciate <laughs> you know part of the part of what I want to do with this podcast is like sort of form this like connectivity between all of the people that are interviewed so like like who inspires you and why and what about their work or their story are you drawn to and so I love that you said that I think I haven't focused on developers I've been primarily focused on designers but I I think as the podcast grows there's definitely opportunity there to you know who hear from whoever in the industry inspires people so well thank you so much this is so great I just I just love hearing your perspective and your insight so I really appreciate you coming on and joining on me on the show and you know, we'll have to catch up again in season two. So thank you again and have a great night. I love that. <laughs> yes, you too. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Huge thank you to Kat for sharing her story with me on Save As. I hope you enjoyed our conversation around gender and inclusivity in design. To see more of Kat's amazing work, including the ecosystem for bug keeping that landed her the job at Nike and scenes from her archaeology field school in Greece, please check out our Insta at Save As Podcast. I am also incredibly excited to announce season two of the Save As Podcast will be launching soon. Stay tuned for an exciting series where previous guests join me in co-hosting episodes and interviewing the creatives who inspire them in their lives. Thanks for listening to the Save As Podcast. To help us get off the ground, we would love for you to subscribe, leave a rating or comment, and tell a friend. We would also love to collaborate with you. Who would you like to hear on the show? Please DM us and let us know.